Keep God's word on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do what it says. Then you will truly be successful. Keep God's word on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do what it says. Then you will truly be successful. Rise and shine, everybody. It's day 60 of our 90-day challenge. And the topic for today is be the one that comes back to say thank you. The Gospel according to Luke, Luke 17, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give God praise except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. For the time that has been entrusted to me today, I want to talk from the topic, be the one that comes back to say thank you. I remember the first time I ever stole something. There I was in a little supermarket in New Jersey called Seatown. I had gone there with my older brother and somehow stumbled upon these delectable sugar cookies in a section where you could take as many as you wanted, put them in a bag, and then bring the bag to the cashier to calculate the weight. My brother was walking around the store at leisure, so I took it upon myself to eat as many cookies as possible. I figured it wasn't really stealing if I ate it before I got to the cash register, so I munched and munched and munched. When we got to the front of the line, my brother turned and looked at me and said, ooh, I'm telling. This was like vindication for him, though, because between the two of us, he was the problem child. He could not wait to get home. So I could get in trouble for once. And boy, did I get in trouble. My mother asked me if I did it and I said no. Problem is, I forgot to wipe the crumbs off the side of my face. I was caught red handed. My response, though, was interesting. I did not say I'm sorry. I said, please don't beat me. I did not own my mistake. I simply asked for no pain. Suffice it to say, that did not work. My mom spanked me until I literally stopped eating cookies for 10 years of my life. At the time of this writing, in fact, I am traumatized by those sugar cookies. And every time I see one, I think about C-Town. So I am currently looking for a sugar cookies anonymous hotline, but I haven't had much success. If you know of one, call me. In all seriousness, though, my mother was upset, not because I stole cookies, but more exactly I didn't ask her for what I wanted. 
Had I asked for the money to buy a snack when I went to see town with my brother, I could have gotten all the cookies they had in that section and so much more. I could have added some milk, some Laffy Taffy's and a bag of sweetest fish for a rainy day, but I didn't take my mother at her word. I knew she was my provider, but I only saw her as my disciplinarian. So I reduced her to the person who would punish me when I got in trouble instead of the parental provider who kept me out of it. In the gospel, according to Luke, we are told about 10 men who had leprosy. In ancient society, lepers were rejected. They were treated as outcasts. Lepers were required to live outside of the city limits in leper camps. Numbers, the fifth chapter, the second verse details that. And these lepers were ordered to cry unclean to warn others to keep away from them as they walked the streets. Scripture says in Leviticus, and the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry unclean, unclean all the days wherein the plague shall be in him. He shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone without the camp shall his habitation be. That's found in Leviticus thirteen forty-five. Leprosy, my friends, was more than a cold or a sinus infection. This was a terminal illness. Leprosy was a bacterial disease that attacked the nerves in the hands, feet, and face. So if someone became the unfortunate carrier of leprosy, their entire body would eventually disfigure. It was a slow but sure death sentence attacking every nerve in one's body until you experienced a complete loss of sensation in your eyes, your eyelids, and your extremities. That's how lepers became blind. Not because of the disease, but because of the side effects. Let me explain. Our nerves tell us when to blink, but if our nerves don't work, we will walk around all day without refreshing our eyelids, which ultimately leads to blindness. Lepers had a deficiency in their nerve responders. Can you imagine what life would be like if you literally lost your nerve? Some of us may think it would be pretty nice not to feel pain, but when you can't feel it, you can't treat it. And if lepers were injured, they wouldn't go to a doctor because they had no sensation. As a result, a simple injury would turn into a deadly infection. And soon enough, legs, toes, feet, and hands would need to be amputated. In the Bible, leprosy was untreatable. But here are a few things we can learn from them. First of all, God still used them. That's good news for those of us who struggle with unworthiness. If you've ever assumed that your inner problem has poisoned your purpose, be encouraged. Your leprous condition does not exempt you from God's use. God often glorifies himself in our weakness in order to pronounce and promote his strength. And if you've ever battled with feeling unstable or unusable because of the secret issue that you struggle with behind closed doors, read Luke 17 again. If God can use these 10, why can't God use you? God also wants you to know that he sees what nobody sees. He knows your frame. He reads every text, even those we delete. So whatever your inner problem is, God wants you to confront it today. You can't tuck it away with prestige. You can't paint over it with accomplishments. The leper in each of us is always battling internally because we know what others do not. 
But brothers and sisters, grace is enabling you to do what leprosy should have disqualified you from doing. The grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ is the shield that covers your condition and allows you to conquer and win. The day we forget about our dilemma is the day pride will keep us from healing. So the lepers see Jesus and say, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me was another way of saying, don't punish me. Feel bad for me, but keep me in my leprous condition. Empathize with me, but don't do to us what others have done. I know what I have, but please don't push me further away. I know what I have, but I've gotten accustomed to this life as I am. I am already on the outskirts of town. Have mercy on me. Please, just have mercy. Don't do to me what my former church did to me. They said they would pray for me, but instead they had a private meeting about me. Please, have mercy on me. I can't take another sermon preached about my issue without the sensitivity to minister to my issue. I can't take one more Facebook status revealing in public what I told you in private. Please have mercy on me because I am already on the sidelines of life. I'm already in the hallway of nothingness. I just want mercy. But the irony of this request is that they knew who Jesus was. They knew he was different than other priests. We know that because they called him master. So obviously his reputation had reached the city gates. They were standing in front of a miracle worker, but they settled for mercy. Like me, they only saw Jesus as a disciplinarian. So their cry was, don't punish me instead of Lord, heal me. They only saw Jesus as the one who could forgive and forget, but not as the one who could make clean and restore. It makes me think about so many of us who have settled for the condition in which we find ourselves. In our minds, we will never be free from this, this problem, this relationship, this cancer of the soul. So instead of asking God for a miracle, we settle for mercy. We justify our actions with words like, oh, I'm just human or don't judge me. And instead of asking for a miracle, we settle. We'd rather someone feel sorry for us than to participate in the process of eradicating our problem. But Jesus wants you to ask for what you really want. Jesus wants you to ask for the big thing. Jesus cares about your cleansing and your community. Jesus doesn't stop at healing the lepers in Luke. He wants them to be placed back in the community so they never have to live on the outskirts again public service announcement. The work God is calling us to is not just to make people shout. It's not just about getting people to join a church. The goal is to help others to be reconciled with their families. The goal is to help those in transition from incarceration to live in a community where they are not judged by their criminal record. As Christians, we must do more than pay undocumented workers under the table. We must help them to gain citizenship so they can have basic benefits, a driver's license, and they never have to look over their shoulder again. We must not just care about their cleansing. We must also care about their community. This is why Jesus sends the lepers away to the priests, yet only one comes back to say thank you. Now, let me be honest with you. As an author, a ghostwriter, a professor, a preacher, and a creative. 
It is often very difficult to write your heart out in the hopes that it will bless someone not knowing if it has or if it hasn't. It's even more difficult to gauge your efficiency when something's good. Why? Because most people won't tell you. But when something's bad, people don't hesitate to share. So measuring what is good or bad is often left up to the criticizers. Think about when you read the ratings to a restaurant online versus when you leave a review yourself. Most of us will only report bad service to the manager, but will rarely say the service was great. And we rarely go the extra mile to say thank you publicly. When we have a pleasant customer service experience on the phone or a really nice waitress or they ask us to call and do the survey, we nod nicely, but rarely do we follow through. This text reveals a similar problem. Jesus heals 10. He helps 10. He restores 10, but only one leaves a review. Only one says thanks. But this was the word God gave me for someone who feels unappreciated today. For everyone who comes back to say thank you, there are nine more you've healed. Today, be intentional about saying thank you. Thank the babysitter who watches your children. Thank the lady who fixes your coffee. Be the one who goes back to the job you just left and thank them for the experience. Be intentional about saying thank you and you'll realize that sometimes a thank you at the right time is better than money in the bank. As a publisher, whenever I am blessed to work with a client who appreciates my labor of love, it only makes me want to do more for them. I have literally driven to Ohio to pick up books for clients, all because they were grateful and appreciative of my work. During this 90-day challenge, take some time to give thanks. Go to the 99-cent store. Buy a dozen thank you cards and handwrite a few letters. Call them leper letters. Thank your pastor. Thank the author who changed your life. Thank the lady who invited you to church years ago. Even if they know you are grateful, tell them again. Trust me, the right thank you at the right time can renew someone's hope and refill their well. So thank someone today for garbage they took out or for how they cleaned their room without you having to ask. Thank your husband for handling the bills. Thank your wife for packing your lunch. Do not focus on what they are not doing. Instead, thank them for what they are doing. It will only inspire them to do more because all of us, even Jesus, notices when people don't say thank you. Finally, instead of lamenting over those who did not, rejoice over the one who came back. Remember, for everyone who came back, there are nine more you've healed. For everyone who says thank you for that sermon or thank you for that song, there are nine more you've changed. And sometimes God only shows us a tithe of our impact so we won't get distracted by adulation. Sometimes God apportions our compliments so we never confuse the applause of man with the approval of God. So if you need to hear it from someone, hear it from me. Thank you. So what is your worship work today? I want you to remember that our job as worshipers is not just to point people to Christ, but to give them a community. With that in mind, intercede for someone who may feel like a modern day leper. Talk to someone who may have been pushed to the margins of life. Be intentional about creating a community where even outsiders can belong. And as a bonus, craft a few thank you letters or emails and send them off today. Watch God work 
when you come back to say thank you. I don't want to sing the latest song. I don't want to percolate the crowd. I just want to make you smile. I don't care who thinks I'm right or wrong. I don't care who tries to calm me down. I just want to praise you now. You covered me in the midst of it all. You loved me. You gave me another chance. You saw my needs. Others saw my faults. You forgave me. I don't have to listen for my name. They don't have to walk me down the aisle. I just wanna make you proud. Should I make the Hall of Fame? Or they save a special seat? I just hope that you'll be pleased. You covered me in the midst of it all. You loved me, gave me another chance. You rescued me. Going to fall, gonna fall. You saved me. So in my life, be glorified. Yeah, yeah. the glory, you get the praise, you take the honor, I just want to say, you get the glory, you get the praise, take all of the honor, I just want to say, I just want to say, you get the glory. Father, you get the praise. 